Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. That time of the week again, the Rugby League rant, fifth and last. Put on your headgear, chuck in your mouth guard and get ready for an hour of nothing but NRL tour. Back for another week of the fifth and last NRL podcast and not many games left, Boxhead. We're getting to the pointy end of the season. Pointy end, yep. Six to go, if you include Origin. But, uh, yeah, it'll be good. Looking forward to this weekend's games. And the grand final is going to be a little bit different because it's not on that public holiday long weekend, which means we'll probably have to have a sore head and then go to work. But uh, who knows? Well, I thought the games in the weekend were two crackers, Roosters, Raiders... In particular, really, really enjoyed that one. Great contest and thought Parramatta, given uh, the drama they went through during the week and on game day, gave a really good account of themselves. But South's just too good. Yeah. So, two good games. Hopefully, a couple more caucus coming up this weekend, leading to our grand final. But we kick off, as always, with our set of six. Six topics, opinions, questions, anything we want to talk about. And uh, let's get the negative stuff out of the way first. Tackle one, the Michael Jennings failed drug test and uh, obviously being brought up on the eve of game day already a hard week for Parramatta losing the week before Sevo goes out Ferguson goes out uh, you know questions whether they can pull it together plenty of people pointing the finger before finals saying they were going to go bang bang out the back door and then to have that come up on game day when you've already got in particular their biggest problem probably edge defence and he was the one that sort of patched up the week before uh, it, not a great situation but in general not for the game during, you know, this sort of pointy end of the season and or for the club and it's the third positive drug test similar with one of these supplements in particular like Yandrol uh, in the past 18 months. Yeah. Oh, he came out fairly strongly publicly though, so I, I tend to... I just look at it and go, well, why would he come out so publicly if he didn't truly believe that he was innocent? So I think that there's been a mistake somewhere along the line here. Um it's difficult. It's going to be very difficult for him to now defend himself because, as we know, having gone through a lot of the education around how this works, you are presumed guilty, and, and now basically he needs to prove himself innocent, particularly if this B sample comes yeah, back, which is generally positive. a ninety-nine point nine percent. Like the B sample yeah. generally always pops as hard. So as So I believe he's made a mistake. I don't. I don't believe this is systematic cheating. That's what I will say. I think he's made a mistake. What I will say, though, is that I, I, it's going to be very, very difficult for him to now prove his innocence unless he can sort of, you know, trace it back to something somewhere. Yeah. Um, I was chatting to a few people today about, you know, how do we fix this? I think from a whole game perspective, we could look at... The only way you're going to eliminate it is that the NRL sources supplements, talks to a physiological expert 
gets all the strength and conditioners in and says, what are the four or five supplements that you guys are all using? Because they're all using the same thing. Yeah, whey protein, we'll source it. isolates, yeah, creatines, whatever it is. We'll source it, okay, and we'll supply. We'll we'll go and get it, and every player in the game will get it from the same source. So if it's tainted or, or there's issues with it, it would be systematic across the board. The issue at the moment is that some players are getting them from Australia. Some of them are getting it from overseas. Depending on what sort of pay packet you're on, you know, some of these boys would be thinking, well, and, and I know it's it's a problem at mats and ball level, which we've got a long history and experience, you know, particularly over the last decade. Every season I've had to chat to players about, you need to make sure that it's made in Australia. You need to make yeah. sure that you check it with Don't a side from the US. But you, yeah, and look, I'm sure... The fact that Michael's only popping now and hasn't done previously, well, I think that probably speaks back was he to... he tested during the season? Yeah, and, was he and tested, this is the other yeah. thing. Like, They're not tested regularly. Well, this year's a harder situation as well with COVID. They can't really have people coming in out of the bubble. So no, I don't understand that, but the only way you're really going to know if everyone's popping or if it's systematic is if you test every player every week. The biggest thing, I guess, and again, it's very hard. Ignorance is not an excuse. He's no, going to need a hell of a... Hell of an excuse or a hell of a pathway or a way to trace it to come up with reasons as to why this has happened. And but look at his behaviour since he was charged or said to be guilty. He's denied it publicly. He's then gone and hired a lawyer, uh, and he's desperate to get the the interview with Sports Integrity Australia fast tracked. He wants his B sample done, and he wants to, you know, try and prove his innocence as soon as possible. Mm. Well, we're going to have to wait and see. I think it's a behaviour of someone who's not cheating systematically. I think it's an error. He's made a mistake. But if he's the thing, only thing we do know, like you said before, that they tell you don't use anything outside of what the club supplies. I'm not arguing that. No, that's not, not what I'm arguing. I'm just saying, if it does happen to be that he's used something, so it's the behaviour of someone who's made a mistake, and he has stuffed up. Ignorance obviously won't pay. They will still yeah. get him for the four years. So no, they'll get him for two. If he can prove that it was a mistake, it'll be two. If it's a mistake, yeah. yeah. But generally, otherwise, it's but he's going to have to be able to trace it back and yeah, prove it. I think even two is crew over. Oh, well, he, I think he... Did he re-sign this year or last year for another two years? So it's Let's either, just see how He's either got one or two more years to run. You went to school with him. Is he a year younger or two he's years younger? I think he's a year younger than me. So you're or two years younger than me. So he's 32 or 33. But, yeah, I guess we'll see what happens. But the yeah. only thing we do know, like we said, unfortunately, in the past, you need a pretty good... Well, to come back at 34 even with two years out, it's going to be hard. No, nah, won't be the case. And who's, so, going to, who's going to sign you? Not great, like we said. We've had Sherry, we've had the Seguiaro thing. He's obviously fighting a similar Yeah, I really hope that it, it comes back. His B sample comes back negative. That'll be best case scenario for him. But, um, yeah, not great for the game at this time of the year. And again, we'll get the negative stuff out of the way. Tackle two, the Tristan Saylor situation when that came out in the weekend. Your heart kind of just sunk uh, to read that because the week before, the Burgess stuff, which again, we're not going into again. Innocent until proven guilty. Lots of allegations. Not exactly the best situation. Positive tests. This, um, yeah, not good. Not, not good. good. Not good. Uh, look, the fact that he spent a night in jail. The charges are very, very serious. Yeah, they were trying to get it. No bail. And the other thing. Well, he didn't get bail originally. He's... He got bail once he appeared and was. Yeah charged, I guess. If they so, move this quickly, they've generally got enough evidence to lay charges. So it, it didn't take them long. Things were very, very fast. We, it's concerning. Police can do things not only, you know, from the girls' side of things, if they've got text messages, social media, they can preserve that kind of stuff, trace it. 
he, I don't even think he would know at this point unless the interviews were in depth as to how much they've got or what they do have. But bar her point of view, the kits they use in these situations, if this is alleged, I think, in within the first 48 hours. So if she's woken up and thought this is, you know, the case and she was blacked out and obviously in her bloods, they reckon they found a sleeping tablet, which is alleged in the court. If all that is consistent and the kit comes back and they've got a lot, it's definitely not a good situation. Innocent till proven guilty. Again, we're not... Can't go into detail, I'm not going to get on a lot, but a lot of what has been out so far, how quickly they've acted and the fact that they went for strict conditions, it's definitely not an ideal situation. And again, for the game, um, it's not a great situation at all. No, it's it's terrible. And I, look, I feel, I feel for Wendell because he has to front up in a lot of public um, jobs and appearances and uh, he's obviously had his off-field issues as well and... Firstly, feel for the victim and her family, and yeah, it's just a rubbish situation. And again, you can trace all these off-field incidents back to drugs and alcohol. You know, go through all the you know Anytime if there's sexual assaults, physical assaults, domestic violence. It's all linked back to drugs and alcohol, police stuff, um, yeah. and the fact that the players are educated enough. You know, we've sat, we sit through. Every year with New South Wales Rugby League, 16s, 18s, 20s, I've sat through four or five hours worth of education every year. Yep. There is no excuse for it. Um, it's similar to what we said before, even on the drug thing. Like I remember 20s, any of the junior football that you sort of done now, whether it's the NRL camps, the New South Wales camps, we had updates during the year about how to behave around women. You talk to people from the New South Wales thing, your alcohol, your drugs, your supplements, etc., they get the full scope. So we've talked about this before. I said it here. My biggest frustration was a few people I talked to the last few days saying, well, it's the Dragons' fault and the game's fault. Like, it's... No, no, no. From the way you've been raised, from the way you go through school, just being a general human being and an adult and the way you're uprought and the things you taught, you know it's the wrong thing. Yeah. The NR, it's not rugby league's responsibility or a club's responsibility for, a, you know, a 20-year-old, 22-year-old, 28-year-old, 30... It doesn't matter how old you are. You're an adult. You're a human being. You're responsible for your own actions. Yes, it's consistent with things that you said with drugs and alcohol being involved, but before football, you know those things. They're basic human interaction and the way you behave. They're wrong behaviours. It's got nothing to do with football and clubs. Clubs do not teach people that it's the right thing to do or they're entitled to do things that are outside of normality. That's not something you can blame on rugby league or a club. You should know better. So I don't cop that one in the education line. They need more education. They get fucking over-educated to the hilt that, again, that's the whole point of the education. If you get find yourself in one of these situations, you can't point the finger at anyone. It's on the individual. Yeah, so, agree. Uh, yeah, not a great situation. See how it all pans out again. Innocent until proven guilty, but um, just how swift everything was, the bits and pieces that have already come out, not great. Um, hard, like you said, for Wendell, I guess, as well, in the circumstance. I'm not a parent. You... Recently, the last few years, apparent if you've been through a rougher past like he has, and he really does own up to those issues. We interviewed him at a sports luncheon, and he, he he delved into a lot of stuff, got right into detail. I guess you'd be hoping that from your past actions and the way you've lived your life and what he achieved off the field, and then turn things around after the on-field thing, that your kids would maybe look and hopefully not end up in a situation similar to what you have before. So not comparable to the things he's done, but I'm sure. Yeah. That side of it would be hard to comprehend. Well, as parent, well, parenting is leadership, and leadership is leadership isn't control. So, and and what I mean by that is, is that you can you can lead and you can set an example, but you can't control. No. So he can't control how Tristan behaves. 
And that that's also assuming that he's guilty here as yeah. well. Like I, I don't want to assume that he's guilty or. No, he but but from him. from a holistic perspective, yeah, parent being a parent is to lead. I think that that's how that's my philosophy around it, and that you know you behave in a certain way that they then model. But you can't. I can't control. You know when my daughter has a fit at two. Yeah. But when once she, you're an you know, adult, you'd like to, to think... Like today, she wanted to fucking take a duck and a plane out of the bath, her bath toys. It's like, well, no, they stay in the bath. And she spacked, and I stayed composed and said, no, explained it, and then you move on. That's yeah. the, the same principles, I think, apply when your child's two to when they're 20. I, think, I think the just point you're trying to make is you'd like to have think a good that... Have a good relationship. I think they've got a fantastic relationship, him, Wendell, and Tristan. Oh, this isn't... And again, like this is where you can sort of say you can talk about parenting, you can talk about education. In the end, it's they're now a choice, a personal yeah. choice to act in a certain way. You could have the best upbringing of all time and still turn out to be an alcoholic, yeah. a drug addict. Like God knows yeah. anything. Like if your parents can only put in place, yeah. you know, do the best job they possibly can, and then the actions you make, like we said again about education and blaming the game, this that, it comes back to the individual. At the yeah. end of the day, you're the one who makes the decision. But, you know, and, and on the flip side, if you're carrying on like a pork chop and you're on the drink every weekend and, you know, you're belting your wife or you're whatever it is, a lot of that stuff, I think, is then passed on if it's modelled. Yeah, yeah. So, and for other people, they break the cycle it's and they leadership. go the opposite it's the, same as, so. it's the same as football teams. Yeah. Coaches, if coaches are nervous, players are nervous. Coaches yeah. fly off the handle and have no composure. More than likely, their team's going to reflect that. Oh. Uh, I, I really just hope that this is... A big misunderstanding. It certainly doesn't look that way. No. Uh, the 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 big thing is here is that the consequences for the mistake. It's not a little mistake. No, and it's not it's, just going to be a mistake. You can't play it's going to have. Well, this is jail time. Monumental happens and consequences. Yeah, and that's for a young man. On the girl as well, and trust and relation. Like, oh, for both. Yeah, again, I'm not assuming, talking about one or the other. If things do go the wrong way, we can't assume, but. If yeah. it heads down that path, this is damaging for all parties long term. Yeah. Um, so it's not a great situation. I guess this is going to bubble away. Now he's on the no-fault stand-down. Yeah. He doesn't have a contract for next year. You have to wait and see how it all pans out. And we've already seen how long the process has been for Jack to and that's still not sorted. So um, if it's following that sort of time long, God knows when things are going to be resolved. But again, yeah. two things that weren't great for the game. But let's get off the negatives now. Let's get into the good stuff. Tackle three. Souths and the Raiders, two teams outside the top four, making it into the final four, the preliminary finals. Roosters and the Eels, third and fourth, bundled out, bang, bang, back door. First time I think I heard the other day in a decade that two teams outside the top four have made it to the prelims. So with that being said, are these two genuine? Can this momentum continue? Or do you still think realistically this week that Storm and Panthers, the two teams that had the week off, are in a much better situation. Are one of these oh, teams I, a genuine threat to the title? You I think? said strongly before the final started that I think the two teams that won the qualifiers is and they were Penrith and Melbourne. They were going to be at a huge advantage, particularly this year. South and Canberra have now played twenty straight weeks. I know Canberra rested in round twenty. Yep. Which was smart now in hindsight. Uh, the Rabbitohs, Wayne Bennett's come out this week and said that they he rested and, and built into the season. Yeah, so physically, I think Canberra and the Rabbitohs will not use this week if they do get beat. Uh, I don't think the physical tie will be an excuse. Canberra have had a lot of injuries. I think South 
they just looked to bubble along, didn't they? Until it really got serious. Like the last six weeks of the comp, they, they just popped. They really um, came good. Belted Manly, Belted um, Parra had that hiccup. Well, but... they overtake like Parramatta and the Roosters at that point in time were clear top four sides, mm. but gradually over the last six weeks, Parramatta and the Roosters have come down. And the Raiders similarly restructured and changed the way they sort of play their football, the yep. way they attack. Their bench changed, late season inclusions, getting Bateman back, getting Corey Harawira and Ira on board, the development of Young yeah. to Pine. Like, those two teams, like you said, seem to have gone up a notch. Well, you the saw what South did to the Roosters yeah. in the last round of the comp. Tore their so. arms off like Goro from Mortal Kombat and beat yeah. them to death with them. So, um, yeah, interesting situation. And again, in... No of the year, but this year, because it's been a very unique one, would you think this situation's popped up for the first time in 10 years? So let's see how things play out this week. Tackle four, the referee situation. A lot of people, uh, there's been plenty of talk about it. And again, don't want to bang the drum on that one. We don't want to bash the officials. But honestly, I can't figure out how they pick who gets these games. And if I think it's more and more obvious the last few years, it's been brought up plenty about politics and favouritism and some of the refs we've seen being let go or pushed into lesser roles and some of those getting bigger games and we just can't figure it out. Um, yeah, I, I don't understand how Cheshire can't get a game. If Ashley Klein is one of the top two referees, I'm not here. That, the, that's no excuse for the game itself that anyone got favoured. I'm just talking about refereeing in general or, you know, the way he handles the game. If Ashley Klein is one of our top two referees, I'm just I'm I not walk here. backwards. So that, that, that game was horrendously officialed. It was it was disgusting how how bad some of those calls were, and the inconsistency around uh, six agains, the inconsistency of the ten meters, just the inc- inconsistency around how often the referee was involved, mm. the the amount of three man peels, hand on the ball. Again, um, it's not favouring either side. Just saying in it, general, no, it was more just from he, from me trying to game. watch the game. Yeah, he was he just doesn't yeah. He's and not and understanding that to referee, it doesn't mean that you have to be refereeing to the letter of the law on every single rule. Mm-hmm. You just need to make sure that you are refereeing the same for both teams. Which wasn't the case. It wasn't at the case. At all times. Well, there was inconsistencies on both sides. Of different both games. sides. I think both teams were at disadvantages at, at different yeah. points within that game. The fact he got that game was to avoid yeah. them appointing Ben Cummins to that game. Which is How, yeah. how wouldn't they just put Jared Sutton on that game and appoint Ben Cummins to the other game? If that's who they feel the top two referees are, but yeah, if Klein, if Chechen can't get a run over Klein, but but Ben Cummins is a way better referee than Ashley Klein. Hundred percent. Ashley Klein's not top two, but again, like even but I, I, I'm with you. I, I can make an I, argument I, I for those other every, two though. Every and I think single Chechen, again oh, still is for me. I think the majority of if you took a, a snap poll of, uh, you know, rugby league players and and just rugby league people in general, fans, commentators like us, people in the media, players. If Matt Chechen isn't in the top two referees from a vote of all those people, I'd walk backwards. It's hard to put my finger on it, but when when he has a game to me, it feels calm, well handled. Yeah. He doesn't want to be involved for the sake of being involved. I think he speaks yeah. to the players better than anyone. I think when you hear him do his bunker reviews or give explanations for anything, he's you know the best. And I just think he's got no ego. I think a lot of them, unfortunately the way things change under the Greenberg thing when we had extra staff and they got a pay rise and they travel around, they got elite squads, they warm up on the field. I honestly think some of them think they're basically players, which I'm, I'm not hating on refs. We've said it a million times before. We can't bash them all the time. They should be encouraged, especially at junior levels. We need referees. We need people coming through. But in a situation like this, when we get to the point end of the season, 
if there's no clearer sign of politics or people being favoured or those that are at the top and who aren't, I just don't. If Klein again, uh, Chechen, sorry, is not in the top two or yeah. can't get a game over Klein in the situation we have with the Cummins thing, which I can totally understand, I'm just not in. Yeah. I'm really not. Um, I didn't look to see who got appointed this week. Did you see who got no, appointed? No, that's tomorrow. Games? That's tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah, oh, yeah well, tomorrow. I'm assuming it's going to be Sutton and Cummins now, especially with the Roosters out of the mix. Yeah. There's no reason for that this week. I don't but. know, mate. I, I, I interesting. Don't know, mate. It's I very really interesting, mate. Know. There's been problems there for years. There's a clear divide, mate. There's politics in the situation. We've had the Badger pushed out this year, which just doesn't seem right. Chechen mm. can't get any of the bigger games, mate. I just don't understand. Valandis needs to really take control there. Uh, that Again, I think the moves they've made or Abdo. to trim it down and kind of put them back into, you know, one referee, control of the game, don't be sane, apply the rules, heading in the right direction. But I, the stranglehold that's been on it and the favouritism or whatever what happens behind the scenes and the politics needs to be busted up. There's got to be some heads rolling, some changes happening there for sure. Yeah. There's something has got to give. Tackle five. Origin squads. Again, we don't really want to get too heavy into the origin because a bit could happen in between now and then in terms of injuries, but we're starting to get a bit of an outlook as to what the squads look like. Uh, Queensland, super young, no surprise there. Lots of injuries this year. A couple of guys in pretty poor form, but uh, you know AJ Brimson coming in to replace Ponga with that shoulder injury. I think that's form-wise and situationally outstanding. Uh, getting Mo Fidoaka to declare himself instead of New Zealand. Holmes has been named weak suspension. You know it wasn't his best year, but given the injuries they've had the outside backs. Who else we got here? Cohen Hess, probably lucky on form, but again, I guess they're sticking to youth and a lack of forward. Xavier Coates, Pat Carrigan, Edric Lee, Heimel Hunt, Ben Hunt, Josh Kerr, Harry Grant, DCE, and Jai Arrow. Um, I think if you're going to have a year where you blood a lot of people, have a free roll of the dice and have this sort of situation, there's no better time to do it than with Wayne Bennett. If this was heavily structured, real origin series, young guys, Kevy again, and the whole madness of last year with the coaching whisper and a lot of emotion. I think it could not be a worse situation to be blooding all these guys. But post this season, three weeks in a row, into the bubble, lots of injuries, lots of guys in poor form. Why not just roll these guys in? Especially when you don't have a great amount of depth. But particularly like, you know, Br- Brimson to me, well worthwhile. Philip Semi this year showed some of his better football, but I'd rather see him and Coates play than, say, dig up an O'Neill or some of the names that were getting floated around just yeah, for the sake I, of it because of form. Like, if you're in this situation backs against the wall, just pick the best young guys you've got, Yeah, roll through some of them and, and see what happens. Particularly when you know you're going to have to roll for three weeks. Yeah, and there's going to be some injuries or some changes. Of course. Um, obviously, players... I love Nathan Brown's inclusion, that, that really... For New South Wales, yeah. yeah. I, like I don't think there were any real surprises in terms of who got added over the weekend from the Roosters... Or the eel side of things. I think the biggest thing we're seeing develop coming out of this is that the speed of the game and the direction. I said it a few years ago that I wouldn't pick Clamour, I wouldn't pick any of those kind of guys that the, the big man's dying in rep football because it's yeah. so quick. But with the way we've changed things now, it's going to be more common to see locks and back rowers like that Frizzell type who plays back row for Dragons, but in origin and for Australia, we've seen him used as an edge, we've seen him used off the bench as a middle. That prototypical guy who's big, can play in the middle, defend well, move to an edge. Even your Trevojevic type lock now is basically, to me, considered your prop in those games. Yeah. You're not looking at eight or ten as a jersey. You're just looking, okay, he's a middle. Because the speed of it, the way things are moved, the skill. Um, like a lot of people blew up about Clement the other week and they use statistics again, which pisses me off. Are the statistics useful? 
do they pass the eye test or don't they? When you watch a game, do you think David Clemmer is a game breaker, a game changer, someone you look at and go, Jesus Christ, like, you know, he won in that game or he came up yeah. with that offload no. or he made that line break. Like, look at his statistics and look at Junior Sapolo's statistics and tell me who's more effective and who's more of a game breaker. Yeah, exactly. Look at his statistics and, you know, look at Tyson Frizzell and the way he plays on edge. And if I told you I was going to put it in the middle for 30 minutes rather than run Clemmer... Well, you're, you're more of a stats man than me. Oh, I don't. So. But again, I've just pointed my point. Like, numbers aren't everything. Like, you need to quantify. There's a few very key numbers that I look at every week. Quantify numbers. You can tell me he made the most meters and he had offloads and he improved. Like, were they effective offloads? Did people roll off the back of him? How quick he's played the ball speed? He doesn't have leg speed. He doesn't have a great bump. He doesn't bend the line back. He ends up on his back a lot. And in defense, he doesn't move well laterally. And if club football is moving the way it is at the moment, Origin's going to be even quicker. I don't doubt the fact Clemmer works his ass off and he's a very, very handy football player, but in the rep arena right now, that style of forward is basically now obsolete. Mm. He's a quality NRL player and he's been a rep player of the past, but right now, if you told me with what we're picking and the way we're heading, I'd rather play small ball. said it a couple of years ago, even your Jackson type, that I don't think is a back row, I think he's a lock. Or your Finucans, your Murrays, your... For all these sort of lock, prototypical edge-back row types are more likely to fill those roles in rep football from now on. Angus Crichton, a guy who can play middle, edge, yeah. good footwork, good, but like they're going to load up on that sort of thing rather than go for... Your Radley, your Murray. Straight yeah. up and down, big man who is just end-to-end, doesn't defend well sideways, and these rule changes in particular have really thrown it on its head. Um, and like we said, moving forward, it'll change junior development. It'll change a lot of things in the next few years if it continues this way. And all well, I don't, see, I don't think it should change junior development. I think junior junior development, that, that's the problem. We with, don't want to kill the big man. That, no, that, but, that's the problem yeah. with where we're at as a game now is that we've, and we I said this four or five, six way. years ago, right? We're going to develop a generation of structured players. And we have. Yep. And then now we've got an unstructured now game. Now we're trying to roll it back. So... so. We need to find a balance. No, you need to you need to teach the kids the fundamentals. Yeah. And just let them play. And when they get into grade, they have that adaptability and they can just play, you know, whatever the whatever the style of game it is, they're well rounded and they understand the fundamentals and they can just be taught whatever style or whatever way the game's moving at that particular point in time. Yep. Uh question marks on Tedesco with that bad injury on the weekend where his leg caved in, possibly not going to be in there. The talk straight away was that Gutherson would get that role. And again, I think he's had a great season. He's a whole effort player. He does a lot of things well. But in all honesty, if uh, Melbourne finished up tomorrow and Pappenhausen's healthy, I'm putting Pappenhausen in if Tedesco's not playing. Me too. I'm yeah. not picking Clint Gutherson as my fullback. And then the talk about him being right centre or one of the centre spots, like again, we played Jack White there and I'd pick him over Gutherson again, purely on the way Jack defends, let alone his ball running ability if he's not playing there Crichton but, the, but we're starting to talk about yeah, but again, they talk about guys again not being able to play his side like, that's bullshit like if you're a quality centre like someone like Stephen Crichton or a Lomax you'll play left or right yeah let's just you'll see who's available and so, then we'll pick our turn but, squads are coming together nicely it's going to be definitely heavy favouritism I think towards New South Wales but I think Queensland if healthy should have a nice forward pack a good young forward pack moving forward uh, tackle six to finish us off it's the youth of the Panthers, the experience of the Storm, the momentum of the South Sydney Rabbitohs, or the redemption story of the Raiders hunting a grand final. Obviously, we've got to tip the results later on, but right now, if we're tipping this week, next week, who do you see prevailing out of that? You're going with youth, Penrith. experience, momentum, or redemption? Penrith. 
You're going with youth. They've given me no reason to... Get off the band. Yep. But I think they're, they're going to meet their biggest adversary in the grand final. If Melbourne get through, that's going to be the biggest test. You know, that if they think they got a, a test against the Roosters in week one, they're going to get a rude shock when they run into Melbourne because Melbourne are fit. They're, they're getting Finucane back. Munster is going to return. They look as strong as they've looked all year, Melbourne. And they're rested. And they've now got a two-week run. I also feel as though they've got a bit of a point to prove Melbourne because of the way they went out last year. And there's that rumour around that it is going to be Cameron Smith's last year. So, you know the other thing that I think is really understated? I think Melbourne are making a big effort to represent Victoria at the moment. Yeah, the whole situation. It's a little bit understated because we're not living it. Yeah. But I think if it was Sydney that was like that, and, for example, it was Penrith that was in or the Roosters or whoever, yeah. or if it was Canberra that were like that, we'd probably feel it a little bit more. But because Victoria and Melbourne in particular is not a rugby league town per se, it's just a little bit... There's a little bit of a disconnect there, but I really feel as though Melbourne have got that added, uh, I guess, motivation. Yeah. They and it's a, a an emotive, an emotive yeah, an emotive, uh, I guess, motivation. And I think which similarly can be powerful. to the Warriors situation, not that they needed it to galvanise them, but yeah. I think if, if there's any club that would be enjoying each other's company and really lapping up and making the best of the bubble, where they are on the sunny coast, it would be the Storm. Yeah, I've seen stuff on social media about party nights and joke nights, and they've got all their families up there, and they fare well them out the front every day, and the kids, they've had ping pong championships and all sorts of different things going on, so... Yeah, um, they've made definitely made the best of the situation. That's for sure. Yeah. So uh, I'm similar to you, even though I'm a Melbourne man. I think right now, if you told me, out of all those, Penrith, but I could see, I can see the the way that South get through. Oh, I could see that. I could see Raiders upset Melbourne. Yeah. I, I could see the other I grand final. I could see the two teams outside the top four playing in the grand final. I could literally, if it was ever going to happen, this is the year for it. But right but, now, I'm going to back. I'm going to yeah, you know, back what I've said all year and. Two teams but just the week those, off. The, yeah, yeah. The, the best two teams yep. to start with. Most consistent. And then the two that have had the week off. Panthers, one The week loss. off might be a, a massive negative. We might be sitting here next week going, man, the week off really halted the momentum or really you know, made those two teams flat. Who well, that's knows? what we're going to figure out. Yeah. Again, when I talk about experience, Melbourne are much better placed having been in this situation mm. multiple times before, but doing two sort of weeks like this within a fortnight two weeks yeah. off or playing once in the last three weeks, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Don't know. For Penrith, I think it'd be more a situation where you'd be worried if you've got a lot of guys that haven't played finals football or the younger guys having a week off. And the fact that they didn't really rest through that whole momentum of winning 15, 16 in a row, will that stutter them at all this week? I think it's a big, the big benefit for Penrith is they're in the bubble. They're not getting around and seeing yeah. all that you know, the fanfare and nah. COVID's probably Penrith a good thing to nuts. keep them focused. Like we live here. Could you imagine the crowds and how insane things would be if they would could be. get around? Yeah. Honestly, it'd be out I of control. that's a good thing. There's no real yeah. big distractions for the Panthers. Yep. Agree with you there. Well, there's a set of six to finish us off before we head into the reviews of the games from the weekend. And that's brought to you by Move Me In. And uh, plenty of people seem to be clicking on that last week and picking up on it. And like we've said the last few weeks, this one's pretty straightforward. Nothing for us in this one. Just hopefully you're getting some cash back. We've both had a look. I got the old man to use it last week because he's, I think it was his gas bill. He said changed over. Yeah. And his electricity's not too far off. But Did he use it? Yeah, he had a look. I don't know if he ended up going through with it, but 
if he didn't, or if he ended up ringing a call centre, he's a moron. Pretty straightforward there, but pretty simple. When's Look. the last time you checked to see how much you're paying for your gas and electricity? Well, it's not rocket science. I'm a hot ass. I do it every month. Follow the link on the page. We've posted up a few times. In do times like these in particular, mate. like we said, put as much money back into your pockets. Don't That's pay my philosophy. And again, if you've never called before, I can't remember, imagine I've said this the last few weeks, the dudes I work with, the amount of people that have like just never ring or don't ever ask or don't change. It's because you're dumb, mate. Like if you're paying overs for gas, water, any sort of utility and you've never checked your bills, that's like people that tell me a bit like, oh, my health insurance or my car insurance, I don't look every I'm like, you are dumb. Mm-hmm. D-U-M-B. Pretty simple. Yeah. All right. Get on board. Move me in. They can compare your current bills for gas, electricity in less than two minutes. And as we've said the last few weeks again, no call centers. I hate call centers. There's nothing worse than shit music, broken phone lines, and just sitting there and get put on hold and passed around. And I can't do that. And you you put you onto someone else and they pass you on. What a crock. Not only that, if you do get on board with Move Me In, even better. If you get a deal with your electricity or your gas, they'll shout you dinner. You get a $45 Domino's pizza deal, and you can also get two free coffees to a local participate in cafes. How good? Save yourself some cashola on your bills and get a free pizza. Boxhead, we've said it last few weeks again. What's what's the one you like, Domino's? The New York style? The New Yorker, bruh. Big, thick one. Ugh. Oof. Girthy, extra cheese. Yeah. For me, put a bit of pepperoni. Good times. Jump onto Facebook, click on that link, see how much you can save. Pretty straightforward. Just trying to put some cash back in your pockets. Put some hot sauce on my burrito, baby. Oh, you look good to me. <laughs> John Willisburn. Outstanding. Friday. Good movie. Uh, first game to review. Roosters, Raiders. What an absolute cracker game this was. But um, the first half, or just, you know, before kickoff for the Roosters, worried about last week. Plenty of questions. Only at one point lost. Thought they would have responded. A little bit better. I thought they started a bit flat, but Collins pulled out. A um, couple of issues in the first half with Kiri and then obviously Tokyo getting injured, but for Canberra. Reshuffle late. Kind of went lightweight with the forward pack. Got Hudson Young in there. Got Harvey on to be a bit of a bigger nine defensively or just a roll out. Um, to go with Papali to Pine. Didn't mind that tactic. Thought it worked quite well, but uh, for me, I'd basically say for the first 20, it was all Canberra. And the biggest thing for me, the Roosters love to cycle. The Raiders just wouldn't let it. Their set starts, their play one-two compared to the Roosters was just too good. Kotrick, why he wasn't making ridiculous metres, there was three in every time. They couldn't put him on his back. They couldn't win the contact. They couldn't hold him up. They couldn't get ball. Valame, I thought, had one of his best games, similar deal. And off the back of that, straight away, in particular, Charles Nickel Clogstad, play one-two, he was just so busy. Straight off the back of that momentum, getting in the middle, Papali to Pine, similar deal. Big bodies, physical footwork, effective offloads. They just never let them settle. They worked their middles over. Um, they went similar tactics to that grand final last year where they kicked almost exclusively that left corridor. They kept making Tedesco carry it out with the ball across his body from the left-hand side where clearly they had a point there where they could trap him or not let him play. Um, and then I just thought they teed off in the Roosters and Yardage who weren't as effective in that situation. They looked panicked. On the flip of the Raiders, any time they moved the ball or had a chance for second phase or offloads or passes, passes hitting the ground, offloads not far on the mark, errors, it, it just was uncharacteristic. Yeah, it was. I think the, the Roosters also, um, they just really struggled to punch the middle. Yeah. They looked slow. They, they weren't really getting over the advantage line. 
so it was it was just hard for them to generate any sort of ruck speed. They couldn't bend Canberra's line back, and it just started to frustrate them a little bit. I think, and they just they didn't look like they had a lot of juice, a lot of bounce, a lot of energy. No, Canberra looked to have all of it. We usually see Toki with a spring in his step, and he obviously got injured twenty in, which didn't help. And you got Jared, who's usually fired up for those big games and frustrating yeah. people. Like, you know, that's why I bring up Collins. You wouldn't expect he's been good this year, but I, I honestly thought Collins hurt him not being there because yeah. he's been bringing a bit of that fire and exuberance and a few guys haven't and Kiri and Cordner that space where they got attacked like that first 20 the way those tries got conceded the Vipali one's just simple yeah. it's just 10 out from the line there's a lead runner there no one bit on him just crashes straight through Cordner Kiri not long after up the ruck like I said they could not stop them play 1-2 the momentum they were building off Kotrick and Valamay to roll with Chans, Papali pops the ball, they go straight to the guts again where they're disconnected. Nice sets of hands from Rapana to George Williams. And then the Tapine one just kind of iced it for me. That one there is just not what you associate with Roosters defence, attitude and energy the last few years. They've played off a sideline. Nothing's doing. All the Roosters are almost got 10 to 11 players inside the post. Courtney Kiri turned in. Tapine's just way too big, way too mobile. Sees that there's no one on the outside, skips across beats four blokes and walks in. Like, yeah. Excellent try, but that's just not what you associate with the Roosters. No, spot on. The, the defence was disgusting, and that's what's really fallen away for the Roosters. Yeah. Energy and, and defensive resolve. And it, it wasn't a lack of putting your body in front. It was just a lot of it was a lack of technique. Mm. You look at the Papali try, that Tapine try, they, they were just... It's handsy or leading yeah, in. Yeah, like it's, just, it's all uh, the stuff you don't see from uh, the... Um, they got dominated Hudson Young was outstanding along with those two guys in the back three in particular they were great the kicking game Jack George kick pressure trap him inside 20 thought the other thing as well Roosters were generating offloads but like I said not effective and had some errors and bits and pieces there but for the Raiders any time they seemed to offload or promote the football something was on situation was happening and I guess late in the half, you know, there was a couple of try savers. The Roosters come up with an absolute corker there, shift off a sideline. Kiri throws a nice out ball there, gets Morrison a good kick on the inside for Tedesco. They needed that. They definitely did. But the amount of blowing tries as well is something you don't associate with the Roosters. Yeah. Like, the first half is one thing, but second half there was a couple as well, and they were very, very close. But Tedesco on the 14th minute there when watching it, he catches it. He could have gone further into the line and engaged a little bit for Morris, but he just got it and tipped on straight away. Morris gets cleaned up. Manu from dummy half, like there's bodies there and good on George Williams in particular. He stuck his leg out, but like you got to get that ball down. It's yeah. finals football. Brett Morris, they get in that space on the outside. And this year we're so used to seeing him scoring, but full credit to Cameron D. Their inside effort, their scramble, like that first one with Morris in particular, Kotrick was gone. He was turned inside out, but his inside defenders came so well and the pass was early. They dealt with it. Um, the scramble, like I said, the four guys on the Williams one. Morris, Chans, and the blokes coming across. like Their inside cover, in particular when they were stripped short, because a few times in particular, Croker's edge, uh, where he came running and left Valame posted, they did a great job to cover up. Yeah, And that continued in the second half, where, you know, going in, one try, late in the half, bit rattled, Kiri's been on and off, Toki's done for the game. You're looking, thinking, okay, they've got one under their belt, they've blown a couple, surely they come out second half. And they do something. And the biggest thing is, again, they wanted to cycle. That's the one thing they couldn't do. Anytime they cycled with the Raiders, I thought they had them on the ropes. Yeah. They literally had them on the ropes. But the problem was, anytime it happened, it lasted for a set or two. 
They could just not contain Canberra, and for me, that's the story of the game. Play one, two. If you can't stop that, you are getting Papali to pine straight back on the front foot, and those guys just bust you up, work you over. Um, and Jack and George kicked outstandingly well and played very, very well. Jack, early ball, there was no even really thought a lot of the time what he was doing. You just get him the ball off that momentum, and he just plays direct. He's either running or he's passing late, but first instincts generally to run. George's kicking game, in particular the short kicking game, was great. Um, they just pinned him in that corner and beat the crap out of him. Basically, yeah. They they, they played a smart game, the, the Raiders, didn't they? And the, the Roosters just, they gave away too many penalties, made too many errors. And just at crucial times, they got it wrong. You know, the Tedesco couldn't defuse a simple kick. Yeah. Late in the game, Luke Curie's offside, you know, Controversial yeah. one where they Manu use a video referee almost to, scores twice. Yeah, Brett you know, Mor- Brett Josh Morris, Morris is so, going in and Chance gets him. Uh, yeah, like so the Raiders weren't without uh, scares. That's for sure. It was they just it. it was a really fifty fifty game, and the difference probably was that try that Tedesco. Yeah, basically gave away, but you, which you've never because never from the 20th minute onwards they, they had some opportunities. Jack had a no try yeah. from obstruction and. They had their moments inside 20, but the Roosters were much better on goal line second half. And they generated their own opportunities, obviously, like we said. But the biggest credit I guess you can give is the amount of try-savers and scramble from the Raiders. Yeah. Um, Chance come up with a few of them. Jack, when he cut down Manu, when he got that double movement call when he was on his back, if he doesn't take his legs, he's in for all money there. Chance again on Morris. I know a lot of people asked about the high contact there. And this is one of the things where we talk about inconsistency. For me, I don't really have a problem with the contact. I do have a problem with it, though, because I thought the Jared touch on Jack for the first penalty of the game, which marched him downfield to score, was piss weak. And the fact that if that's going to be penalised, well, then you'd penalise the other one. I don't think it is, but I'm just saying, on the standard of referendum like you're talking about, yeah, yeah. if I look at that and go, okay, he's got him in the head, yes, compared to the other one where he's loved tapped him after a kick. Like, was, it, was there a point for Jared to touch him? No, he didn't need to, but honestly, he barely touched him. Like, it's, it's things like that. that just, just shit refereeing. It just bothers me. Um, and we had a question in the inbox and from a couple of people and Andy on Twitter, shout out to him, who sent through asking basically that question. Like, um, where was it? I got it here. But most brought it up in a similar kind of manner. Why can the bunker be used to find Luke Keary offside, which was the correct decision, and he said as much as well. But, you know, you, you not review a high tackle in a try-scoring situation. So... He's basically going off that mm. same point. If you're going off the consistency of the call he made earlier in the game on Jared, on Jack, yeah. and Chance has gotten the head there, but yet at the end of the game, in the flow of things, he suspected he's offside. The touch he hasn't called it, or maybe he's ticked him up live, or he's thought it. But then he's gone, I've got no try, which there was no way it was a try. Yeah. He's taken advantage of that situation, obviously, to have a look. It is the correct decision, but what are your thoughts on that? I thought it was a horrendous misuse of the bunker because we generally don't see it used it's, in it's supposed to be uh, for try scoring instances <sighs> I, yeah I was dumbfounded particularly with the inconsistency around when we do that so was he tipped up by the bunker a touchy that's why I was confused I, I, yeah, as soon as he said no try particularly at that point in, in, in time during the game how influential that call was if they're going to make that call if they thought he was offside they should have called it on the field and isn't that the reason why the captain's challenge is now in place? So if if the Roosters then thought that it was the incorrect call, 
they could challenge it. Mm. But they blew theirs early in the game, obviously. But that doesn't matter. You, you, you just say, well, that's your problem. Yeah. Call it on the field. So a few people... Oh, I think that it goes back and tells you where our referees are at. Yeah, and people are not pro... These aren't pro Roosters or Raiders fans. It doesn't they're matter. More saying, I. I don't care yeah, about Yeah, no, the, but they're more the to say, it's yeah, you that. haven't seen all year someone kind no. of... In that situation, it's he, the consistency around the use of the bunker throwing up and no yeah. try when it clearly wasn't a try. And the first thing he said was check yeah, before he was on side. So he's basically confirming what he thought. Yeah, it is a big moment. It, yeah, it's the correct decision. But again, it's like, oh, hold on a minute. Like that's that doesn't happen all year. And now you've chucked the bunker with like a minute to go or a minute twenty to go in a, in a preliminary final. Correct call. Similar to what I said last year at the grand final situation, but um, it generally doesn't get used that way. So no. A few fans were a bit confused as to how that came about. and um, Yeah. Full credit to the Raiders, though. Thought, again, outstanding. Papali and Tapine. Tapine's form this year, finally, after years of potential, as far as the consistency basis, cleaning up his aggression. Uh, he had issues for a bit there where he'd get a niggling injury or he'd have a suspension or he'd play one game here or there. Like, right now, he's up there with being as important as Papali. Those two as a tandem, just... So dynamic in the middle, great footwork, laid offloads, they get numbers in, they're hard to put on their backs, and it just opens it up for everybody. He gets Jack and George playing direct and fast. Harvili can roll out when he's on. Starling can play direct off at Chans around the ruck. And then, again, those set starters, Kotrick in particular, uh, I think he's had an okay year. There's some weeks where I'm questioning what the Bulldogs have paid for him as a centre, and there's other weeks when I watch him play, and I'm just like, you, you can't put him on the ground. Or if you do, you just don't win the ruck. They had three in every time, and Valame again, was just as effective, and it just rolled on from there. That, that was the one thing consistent watching the replay the second time, that the Roosters went down there, got the numbers in, just could not stop them, play one-two, and that just directly led straight into those guys rolling off the back of it, taking advantage, winning the territory, winning the possession battle, and their kicking game exclusively almost to that left-hand corridor, just kept pinning them and bashing them down there. Um, that's one thing I guess the Roosters as well we're used to them being good in that kind of thing and killing set starts as well as being effective they weren't as effective on either end and their kicking game was generally rushed in particular that period where Kiri was off Flanagan just got battered they were hitting him at will because they knew he was the only option Yeah. Um, and again didn't think I'd be saying this two weeks in a row but a lot of those veterans like it definitely wasn't Jared's best game Toki horrible to get that injury early but he didn't look as sprightly um, Cordner some of the missed tackles, Kiri again, just there was a lot of those kind of guys I thought would really come to the fore this week that weren't. Tedesco had his moments where he made an error or two, but he couldn't have done any more. No, and then when right. he busted his yeah. leg and kept going, like he he was dynamic. Um, and then there's other guys during the year, just like the development. You know, Butcher, I'm still waiting to take a step forward. Loses that one-on-one strip at a critical time there where they defend for a couple of sets and it gets ripped out. Satili Tupanua comes on. He's been awesome all year and goes, I think it was error penalty a couple of plays later then misses two in a row which again led to a, a period there where they were just under fire like it's just stuff you don't associate with a lot of the Roosters players and um, as much as I thought the whole Sonny Bill thing like I said would be a bit of a gimmick or that his stints off the bench were really effective in this game he yeah. brought a bit of second phase with Angus Crichton and brought some width and moved the ball around and got a couple offloads Crichton again very, very effective, I thought, and has been one of the shining lights for the Roosters. And one guy who certainly had a big game, to me, after having a, a shocker against the Panthers was Manu. He didn't get those tries, but he found himself very, very involved this week. And that try he scored from the standing start where he just beat a couple of bucks and went and scored. Um, 
it's, it's yeah, some weeks you're just waiting to see him and you don't need to see him because they're so dominant and he sits on his edge. But when he wants to come find the football and get himself involved, he's a hell of a ball runner. And even at the back end when we saw Tedesco busted, he was pushing up on the football and lingering around and just the ability to break tackles or just every time he seems done, he slips through, he gets an arm free. But uh, Rooster's not good enough. They ran out of puff and I thought Robinson... Was very good, very good. Good game of footy, though. Yeah, great, it was game, a great of game of footy. And well-deserved by the Raiders. Um, to get that dominance in the first 20, and then, you know, go through such a long period of time there, be denied tries a couple of times, but still felt they dominated for the most part and absorbed some of the punches and scrambled so well, they would have saved six or seven tries. Yeah. That's the difference in the game. Um, they were outstanding. They deserve to be where they are. And, like I said, Papali, Tapine, the halves, Chans, the back two... Yeah, really, really well, well done by them. And I thought the, the bench changes and the development of Young as well. Like this week, the way their side looks, the changes throughout the year, those guys coming in, Harold Weir as a late inclusion, Louis form at the back end, like they're in a real good spot. They've generally had the wood over Melbourne. Melbourne don't like playing camera. They'll give Melbourne a red hot crack this week. Absolutely. The biggest thing is, I thought they did have a hard game, but like you said, they did rest a couple of weeks before that, so they should be in a pretty good position here where they're not cooked. They got their rest in. So if they're ready to rumble and they play like that against Melbourne and similarly control the set starts and the way they kill Melbourne set starts and kick that way, that'll be a big shot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, They've got the style to trouble Melbourne, no doubt about that. Mm. Roosters, again, what a run. I know some fans are disappointed and I've seen some mixed messaging there, but how could you not be happy? Like, Prelims, grand final, like it's been consistent for over a decade, or yeah. since Robinson took over. Grand final first season, prelims to follow that. That one down year where everything went wrong, off field stuff. Pierce, Roger left, but other than that, it's if it's pre- it's prelims, grand finals, minor premierships, and I don't see anything changing. You've got to look at who they didn't have, and I know. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. People have brought up, well, Horsberg and Guler, except like Cameron's got great depth. They got those late inclusions at the back end of the year. Bateman was almost like a signing after he come back. Getting Harry and Nairo, you don't land Kiwi Internationals very often at the back end of the season. Soliola off his injury, etc. To Pine coming through Hudson. But the Roosters, Verrells, Radley, nine was a big thing. Friend was not healthy all year. They got Lusick those couple of games. You're asking a 20s kid to play NRL after basically playing no football all season. Teddy missed a couple of games. The Cord and Akiri combination, much like Friend, and just the fragility, I guess you could say, of those two, whether it be head knocks and some concerns there moving forward. A couple of those older guys just falling a bit flat. A few of those younger guys that were peaking earlier in the year, not playing so well at the back end of the year. It all just didn't come together when it mattered most. And the best part for me was, like he said, don't try and find excuses for it. Like, we just weren't good enough. That's right, yeah. And that, that's Simple. it is what it is. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side of that, I look at them and people go, well, you know, they've got to make drastic changes. I, I disagree. I really disagree. Mm. They don't have to make drastic changes. They've got a lot of guys 
to come back into the mix. They've probably got a decision to make at halfback, which, again, I think is overplayed. The whole Flanagan, it's his fault, and he was... T- like, that's a crock of shit. It's not all on Flanagan. There's a lot of guys that need to be accountable. Yeah, of course. But, yeah, pretty straightforward, though. If they don't think he fits what they do or he's not the style they want, move on. They only sign him for two years for a reason. But to make it... If the whole narrative of he's the scapegoat and he was so... But that's, that's dog shit. He's a good footballer. And not many kids could come into that situation for their first full year a rugby league, replace Cooper Cronk, come to the Roosters and try to take a team to a third title. You're the hunted every single week. You could have not walked into a more pressure-filled situation. Yeah. And the thing for them as well, if they were looking to move him on next year, Kiri's no guarantee week to week at the moment either, as great a player as he is. So if you want Walker, this young kid who's a gun, don't get me wrong, he's off a shoulder reconstruction, he's 18. You're doing the same thing to Sam Walker as what you're doing to Kyle Flanagan. Yeah. But if you walk him out the door and then you keep Lamb... And then Hutchison's a maybe, but again, he's not a long-term option. He's been around for ages. If Lamb doesn't work out and Kiri gets hurt, well, then you've got Sam. And if Sam busts his shoulder again, who are you halves? Yeah. Agreed, so I, just, I, agree. I wouldn't let Flanagan go. I'd hold on to Flanagan, even if he's not playing straight away. Hopefully the state leagues are back. I figure out the preseason who I want to partner Kiri, but I'm not giving up any of those options. If I've got Lamb for one more year, Flanagan find me under contract, and they're definitely both unreasonable, and I've got Walker as well, I'm keeping all four. Much like the hooker situation. Yeah. Friends off contract right now. I'm sure they would have been leaning towards Verrills and you've seen Lussick, but I think right now they've got a bit of a situation where if they they will probably keep Friend on board, they're a big fan of him, but I wouldn't be signing him for any more than a year. He's getting to that sort of stage now where I'm a bit worried. Verrills is off the ACL, otherwise I think he'd be very close this year to being a bit more confident in usurping him and then you've got Lussick there as well. But that and maybe a couple of forwards. But they've got a great young crop there. They've got some guys that'll come into the mix, but um, I guess we'll review them a bit more afterwards. But the second game, moving on from that one, South versus Eels. Um, take out of this what you will, and a lot of people thought Eels were bad. I don't think the Eels were bad at all. I don't think they were as bad as what was advertised. I think South, to me, showed patches of fragility as well at times or some of their weaknesses and the fact that the moment the ball gets away from him for a few sets, you can open him up. And in particular, their right edge, the left-hand attacking side, between Reynolds and Campbell Graham. Campbell Graham has a tendency to come up and leave his inside shoulder. Reynolds is a player you can isolate. They've got him a couple of times at Lane. Brown did a really good job playing straight and isolating him. Um, but I thought after the first 20 minutes where they were definitely losing yardage, they couldn't get out of their own end, they're under all sorts of pressure, they certainly tightened up on their edges. They were much better defensively in that area. They really loaded up whether South wanted to play their left-hand side at their right at Wonga Blake and those guys, they did a good job. They were happy to give away a couple of penalties and I, I thought when they took the penalty goal to start with, that was a win for the Eels. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree. That first sort of 20, though, like we said, they really struggled in yardage, missing those few players. Um, their forward I pack. Do, I do think, though, Parramatta made dumb errors at critical times. They, they struggled to avoid losing this game. Yeah. They they just made fundamental errors. Second half, their errors well, turned to points. Yeah, but there was a, there was a time there where they'd gone on that run. They'd scored the three tries in a row, and they got a set down on South's line again. And they throw the ball over the sideline yeah. and play two. Matheson rushes it. There's a time there in the in the second half, about ten minutes in, where Madison just drops the ball. Play one on his off own a set end. restart. Um, you know the the other one is where the the kick comes off the post. Well, they got a shit call. It should have been ten in the bin. Cook should have got 10 in the bin for that dive in um, 
it, it was a sin bin every day of the week for no, that's my opinion. One that a lot of people have argued about like is that, um, is that a binning? I don't, I don't think it? it's an argument. I think it's clear. We've seen it all year. Yeah, um, no, that's one that was missed for the weekend. You know, the kick, he's got to nail the kick, but they need to be lined up, ready yeah. for the kick. And they didn't get they the ball. Weren't. They then Gutherson. don't get the ball, and then they give away a penalty on the back of it, and it goes from being what should have been 20 all to 26-18, and the game's gone. Yeah, and all those errors in particular at the back end by key players led to points. So just, Brown yeah. rolls the dice with that long pass, gets picked off. Gutherson has Cody Walker breathing down his neck instead of just grounding it, tries to pick it up, pops up for Sirenen. Mitchell Moses even at the back end, like the game was pretty much gone, but the grabber kick from inside 40 with no one knowing about it and Cook runs the other way and scores, like all their errors led to points. Yeah. Nathan Brown threw one on the ground, which led to the possession for them to just basically close out the game. Whereas on the flip side, South made more errors than Parramatta did, but like you said, they just couldn't capitalise on And I thought any time that South needed to steady even after that glut where they got torn apart, they could find a dropout or they could find themselves back in the cycle for a set or two just to calm down and wait for an opportunity. And like the second half, on the back of walking in 18-8 down and being dominated for a half that was 20 minutes south and then the last 20 was all Parramatta, in particular because their forward pack was just outstanding. Paulo, Campbell Gillard, Nathan Brown, like, they were immense. And Lane with Brown, that combination on the left there, back together, they, they shredded that side of the field. But the first five minutes, they go set for set and then they come up with a kick and get a dropout. And straight away there, they turn the screws. Yeah. And it's just those little moments there, those small differences. And say when Allen drops the drop out there, um, like you said, Parramatta didn't have the patience to go down there and try to turn the screws or try to start pinning their own half or gas them out or force a repeat set. They drop the football or they want to throw a cutout pass or they want to just really force the issue. Yeah. So I will say that, like I said, for South, if you play that game again where we know they can get gluts of points, Penrith aren't going to give you the opportunities that Parramatta are. And then if you get to a grand final per se against the Raiders or a Melbourne, similar deal. You're not going to get those sort of opportunities. I think Parramatta and that side of the draw that we spoke about was best case scenario for South Sydney. Defensively, attack-wise, like that style of football against the two teams they've had so far is fine. But Penrith aren't going to give you as many wins in defence. They're going to be much better on set starts and pressure. They're better in their contact. They like to drag you back. They hit kickers, they kick pressure, they're good in attack on both sides of the field. Reynolds is going to see plenty of traffic, him and Campbell Graham that left. I kick out's not yeah. there, but Catewell's still a quality player. He runs really tidy lines, good feet, Crichton. Liam Martin and Cleary on the other side is just as dangerous. Their forward pack is dynamic. They've got passes, they've got tips. Coruscant working things over, and they get impact off their bench. But I just think all, all the areas we talk about, Parramatta not being patient, not being willing to build pressure, issues defensively and we worry about their edges except like a lot of those things and errors and discipline you don't associate with Penrith so it's a completely different kettle of fish this week but I I will say if Souths can keep the ball and do the right things and be more disciplined themselves and not have their own little gluts where they're 18 points then they can seed one or two if they can actually complete high and be disciplined against Penrith real opportunity yeah this one for Parramatta uh, more what you said, like just, criti- just it away. critical errors by key players, especially in the second half, and almost every one of them led to points. Yeah, for Souths again, uh, standouts like I don't know. I think it's one of Cook's better better games, but early on, probably you know he didn't have a huge impact. Second half, he had a big impact. Thought their forward pack as a whole was pretty good. Colin Matangi was probably the one for me off the bench when him and Knight come on. Like Colin Matangi was getting three or four, and he was real dominant. Um, Tatola and those guys, you know, they just do their job, but. I think 
Parramatta did a really, really good job loading up and probably knowing what was coming out left-hand side. They didn't really let Walker have the effect on the game. He would have liked to No, he, he was kept fairly quiet. Reynolds, so. probably a similar one again, where he runs once in a blue moon through that dummy and got through. They fell asleep on him. Um, thought Paulo on the wing, obviously come up with a couple of big plays to pick up that penalty goal, to pick up that intercept, mm. probably his best game. And Allen had some really, really good moments again, but he also had a few Barry Crockers there himself. He dropped the ball that led to a try. He dropped that one off a dropout where they built pressure there and he dropped the first play. Yeah. Um, it's just, I think there's, the thing for me about him just probably lacks a little bit of top-end speed, but physically he's big. So a lot of the time when they get him on those swing plays, if he was a tiny bit quicker, he'd probably score himself. But I guess on from a size perspective, he gets defenders to kind of turn themselves in on their inside shoulder and they have to decide whether they're going to come to him or not physically. And he almost barged his way in and he has done the last few weeks and if not, he just tips on the outside, so... Uh, he's a different style of fullback to Latrell Mitchell, but it's certainly working for him. It is working for him. So yeah, it's put it, more it, focus on the other key, th- the three key. Yeah. You know, and your nine, your seven, and your six, and you're seeing the impact it's had on Cody Walker. At times, it's it can be a disadvantage to have four brilliant spine players because you're, they're all trying to mix yeah. them together. I think it's he's doing a very, very simple job. He's doing it effectively, and he's allowing those other three players to come to the fore a little bit more. Yep. Thought uh, on the Parramatta side, have to give credit to their forward pack. Uh, Paulo was immense. Yeah, they were. Nathan Brown, Campbell Gillard was flat for me for the last probably six to eight weeks. Definitely found his mojo the other night in a big game. Lane, I guess, back with Brown after a couple of weeks. He got some good ball there and come up with a nice pass and was pretty dangerous. And uh, yeah, Gutherson obviously had a real good period there, but obviously come up with a bad error and second half was pretty well contained. So all in all, you know. The year for them started off really, really well. Yeah, ended quite poorly. Some questions. Um, Should probably talk about um, our bets as well. Us, we said back, or I said back the try bet in the Roosters Raiders that got up, um, and said back South thirteen plus. Just got home. Just got yeah. home. Yeah, last play of the day. Did you know he's a beach brinner? Oh yeah, I've heard it hundred <laughs> times. Oof. So, yeah, a couple of nice collects. So, I know a few people messaged in and said thanks yeah. for the tips. Right, but, Jay, um, one of the listeners, sent me one going, what do I reckon? I said similar to you. I, I took the try bet and he said I needed to juice it up a bit. I just Tedesco, for me, just almost scores every time he plays the Raiders. Those clashes, for some reason, he ended up getting a double. So, you've got to collect there. $3 for free. But I took Cody and South just thinking they were going to go heavy left and he just couldn't get himself in. The yeah. closest he got was that ball that Gutherson should have just grounded. Cody's the reason that ball popped out. But he, as far as the running game is concerned, they pretty much loaded that side all night and didn't let him go down there. Yeah. So that was a bit of a letdown. But uh, the Roosters, the Tedesco try bet in that game was 450 boosted. So that was nice. Mm. Happy with that. But I guess now we've wrapped up these two games. Season reviews for those two teams. The Eels, first of all, started off absolutely on fire. Beat Penrith early, everyone's saying, oh, can't believe I let Wunga Blake go, Campbell Gillard go. I'm like, pump the brakes on that one. The Wunga Blake one I was never buying into. Campbell Gillard at best form, I can justify if Penrith's paying part of the pay packet. At the end of the day, I'd probably say Parramatta may have come out on top if Penrith pay a heavy wage. The Wunga Blake one, you're never going to sell me on. And I will say this, as much as I give him grief for his defence, he doesn't get a whole lot of help having Mitchell Moses inside him and Ferguson outside of him. But the critical thing is a lot of the time, is the centre is the key one in decision-making. And he generally doesn't make good decisions. And on top of that, 
he drops the football too much. And he generally doesn't pass when he should pass on the outside. It's a lot of things collectively for Wonga Blake. So I just don't want to bash him. But, yeah, those two early doors, red-hot form, Moses, he should be the origin halfback. Everyone's banging that drum. <sighs> it was a bit premature, like we said. It's got to develop over the rest of the year. But, if anything, nothing really changed. They flattened out. When Moses got injured, I thought they marched on with Brown and, and looked pretty solid when they had field in the side. And then when Moses came back in, it just wasn't quite the same. He wouldn't run the football. His confidence wasn't there. Brown getting hurt at the back end, I thought, was more critical than when Moses went out of the team. Yeah. Um, the forward pack flattened out. Your Campbell Gillards and a couple of guys. Lane wasn't playing as good. Arthur even started to experiment with rotating him and Lane and Davey on playing on an edge and trying to get Lane playing as a middle. Reed Marnie carries a heavy toll in the middle there and he's a solid footballer, but I still think they need a backup nine. He's not. And it's me, not Stone. No, Stone's not even a nine. He's a he's a lock coming. But that's the it. Juniors, it's but, same as you know like, Will Smith. They're trying yeah, to use that. They're utility that type guys. Of like you yeah. need a genuine. They do interchange yeah. nine for twenty minutes because as much as I love Reed and he does do the job, he's going to get targeted because he's a smaller player. He does a really really good job. He could can play eighty, but some weeks he needs a bit of relief. Yeah. In some games they need to give him twenty up, and they need to have a genuine. And even in general, they don't have a backup right now, so that's got to be addressed. Outside backs. You know, Sevo Ferguson, for me, take a step backwards. We've been critical of Ferguson, Sevo uh, well before anyone because why everyone looks at the finishing. Like I said, it's the little things he doesn't do. I don't think he's great in yardage. I don't think he likes taking a tough carry. And I think he's a milkman. He lays down a fair bit. And a lot of people cotton on at the back end of the year, but uh, I don't think it was his greatest year. Jennings' situation is not a great one now because he's probably their best edge defender and he had his best season. Now he's got this cloud hanging over his head. Wonga situation, like I said, that's one they've got for the next couple of years. They're just going to have to work with it. Hopefully they can clean up his defence and a few things, but to me, they've got questions in their outside backs. The forward pack, to me, looks pretty settled. I think the forward pack moving forward, Lane, Madison, Paulo, Campbell, Gillard, Brown, your starting pack, you're happy with. They've let 11 guys go yesterday, though, out of their squad. Mm. So the big question is, they're obviously either got guys in line on the market, or they're happy with what they've got come through their production line. Because you took a mano moves on. I think Oregon Kafusi will probably come onto the bench and start playing more minutes now that Davey, Gower, etc. have moved on. Does Alvaro stay at the club? Is he back in the mix? Kane Evans has now moved on. So they're basically going to need to rebuild their whole bench makeup. But for me right now, there's no nine backup. They need a couple more forwards besides Oregon coming into the mix there. And outside backs, they need a couple of guys pushing through in that spot as well. We saw Dunster, who's come through and ticked all the boxes at junior reps. Um, otherwise, other than that and their development, there's not a whole lot more that I know of. Ethan Parry was a guy who came through 20s, debuts as an 18-year-old last year. I'm pretty sure he left this season. I don't know if he's coming back, if it was COVID or what, but yeah. he's gone. In the 20s, I don't really know a whole lot about what they've got pushing up. This season really hurts in that department because from what I'd heard, they'd pushed a good group of their SG ball kids basically straight into 20s to fast track, but that gets cut off with this whole setup. The only one I know who's played at a real high level so far is Sam Lozu, he was a Blacktown Paddy's boy. He was an Australian schoolboy. Yeah. But again, we're talking no football basically at all this year to play in NRL. But with 10 or 11 spots to fill, with what's left on the market, I'm not sure quite what they've got up this sleeve. Yeah. And, and again, I'm not arguing with some of the guys I don't know. Gower's retiring. Penny Terrapo didn't play much yeah, look, this I year. I think and, most of them, you know, I agree with. It's just more about who you're making room for yeah. and who you're bringing in. Who you're bringing in. So yeah. it needs to be better than what you're moving out the door. That's simple, fundamental 
roster 101. But, uh, yeah, the Eels, they, they played their best footy early. And from a peak, at, you know, around probably around 10 or 11, after they'd beaten Penrith, they really competed with the Roosters there. Uh, since then, it just slid away. And I think it really came to a head when South belted them. Yeah. And from there, they just never really recovered, did they? They, they had injury concerns. They had the off-field stuff uh, with Jennings. So, yeah, they're just one of those years for, for Parramatta. And I guess you'd rather be top four than not. Oh. So they, they did a great job to get themselves in a position. But the key now has got to be going on and having that killer instinct in big games. Well, that's probably the last question I have for you. The spine. Is this the right spine to go forward with? I don't think so. And what I needs think there's to holes in the spine, and I've said that all year, and people Maybe. were a little bit critical of me at the start of the year when they were going really well, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sold on Marnie. I, I think he's a good player. I'm not sold on Moses. I'm very much sold on Brown. I'm sold on Brown. Gutherson, I think you need the right mix of players. He needs better halves. Definitely, yeah. Like, you saw the other night, like, he had to generate all that stuff himself, basically. I think Moses... The big one for me is Moses. I think if you can get a decent nine backup or a rotation for Marnie for 20 minutes and you can find a seven. Look, I think Brad Arthur's got to... He's got to ask himself this question. He's got to go home, look in the mirror and say, am I willing to hinge my coaching career at Parramatta on Mitchell Moses? Well, they've got two more years of him, so... Well, I understand that. That's the hard part, But he I needs guess. to go and, have that convers- go and have that conversation with himself. Yep. Because if the answer's no... You need to move. You now, need to try. Now. Because yeah. the one that's lingering, and again, it's the name for everyone to link and easily put in there, but the way, the way Brown plays, if you're getting on the market right now, Burton, like I said before, the interest of some clubs besides the Bulldogs, who's definitely not a place I'd go, that's the kind of person you'd be looking at. Yeah. You'd be trying to get someone in like a Burton who you think is a good half to balance out with another young good half and run your football team, someone who's definitely not afraid to run the football, which he's certainly not. Left foot kicking game brings a point of difference. Uh, and that's the thing for Moses, I guess. Moses has been bad defensively, and then at times we criticise him for being too erratic, and then now he's probably too patient and sits back and doesn't inject himself enough in the game, and then at points in time he's looked like a professional kicker. Like it's It's been a sample of one part. Like He can't seem to piece together all these strings to his bow. He's supposed to be an electric runner, creative player, good kicker of the football. Like He just, we haven't seen all of it put together year to year. Last year was the best season he had, and even again, I thought a lot of that, as I said at the back end, was more, again, off kicking game. The tri-assist numbers and stats look into what those stats were. I didn't think he was as effective as what most people thought, but to say, like at the start, like most did, that he was going to be an origin half, like I don't know any point in time that I thought that Mitchell Moses is an origin half, because come back to the out-and-out principle of one of the things you need in origin over everything in our halves is can you defend and get pummeled? No. Nathan can do that. Pierce, as much as people don't like him, defends quite well. I know this year probably wasn't his best year, but over his career, he's been good there. Hodgkinson in the past, definitely not the classiest halfback we had, but I tell you what, he defended well. Mm. But again, dominate a side, control things, be effective, running the ball, be able to change the tempo of the game, not just basically be a professional kicker, which is what I think Mitchell Moses has sort of turned into at this point in time. Yeah. Brown. Yeah, I agree. First, he's got to find a mix in his yeah, game. Brown, when he was healthy and going, was the one that made the train go. That left-hand side was red hot. Yeah. And that was driven by Dylan Brown. Agree. So. Agree, agree, agree. Roosters, um, similar deal. 
COVID hits, probably a great thing for them at the time, like we said, because they were tired, flat. Yeah. A couple of big seasons, they wouldn't have had a big off season. Um, give them a time to rest up, really. And then when they got back, started red hot. And then the critical blow hit. Verrills, Radley, in the same game. They pushed on without them. They rolled some young guys through. We saw the development of your two Panuas. Pawasa got some game time over and then came back. Collins turned into a starting front row at times there. You know, they've had injuries along the way. It was a challenging year again where you're looking and one week you don't have Tedesco. Friends missing games. Cordner's missed games. Kiri's missed games. The forward pack slowed down at the back end of the year. Um, you know, and, and certainly the hooker situation, like we said. They weren't sold on Flanagan. They gave Lamb some time. He busts his ankle. Flanagan comes back into the mix. The most important thing is they still finish top four despite all these question marks that people have. They found themselves in a position to challenge for a third title. And I honestly think if you look at who didn't play again, if you told me Verrills and Radley were available on the weekend, I think they win. They do win. And we're no doubt no, no about, about that. They, they, they would have won that game. What's also interesting is they started 0-2, and two, so they were yeah, they turned in the around. bottom four coming into COVID, and then they, they still got in the an 18-week comp, they, comp, they came into the top four. So, yeah. You know, what sort of gas they spent, I guess, trying to achieve that, that then clearly had a toll at the end of the year. I don't know whether it was just that, but it's been a fantastic period of time for the Roosters and it's been the most impressive two and a half years of football I think that I've seen, probably dating back to, you know, when Manly and Melbourne were going to and fro um, and then you'd have to go back to sort of your Roosters, Canterbury, Penrith in the early... 2000s, you know, Penrith sort of won a comp, made a preliminary. The Roosters made three grand finals in a row dogs during that period. Four or five the dogs, years yeah. Um, and then you'd have to go back to Brisbane, Canberra, Knights, I guess, of the 90s. So they're in that rare air. That You can make an argument that they're the best team in the last 30 years. And anyone that wants to make that argument, I'd find it really hard to argue. Uh, and particularly with the sort of barriers and challenges that they were put to uh, this year and I certainly didn't see them falling off the cliff the way they did but not at the back end no no I, I, I certainly didn't see that coming at all really bit hard uh, all, all in all I, you know, I found the way that they dealt with the loss the other night unbelievable and just a real testament to why they are successful as an organisation no excuses no blame they were devastated but Gave their opposition full credit and, you know, looked inward. It was all self-reflection. Yeah. Uh, it was all pointing the finger inward, not outward. Uh, so that they're going to be back. The, the You know, the rumours around roster changes, etc. I'd find it hard to believe that that's come from the Roosters' coaching staff because they, they'd be away at the moment having a bit of a break. And realistically, I think big decisions around roster, etc. won't be made for... Probably another month. So where that where the Cole Flanagan rumours come from, I'm not sure. Whether it's him agitating or maybe there are issues there that have come out of this year, but I find it hard to, to believe they're going to move him on just based on the last three weeks. No. And as far as gains so far, none. But again, getting Verrills and Radley back is like getting two new players. Billy yeah. Smith, who I said was one of the better Guys coming through the juniors, dominated cut last year, still as a flag player. He would have been a shoe-in to probably get a crack at that centre spot. Morris was obviously a very, very handy replacement. Mm. But Billy Smith's going to be back in the mix next year as well. So they're essentially getting 
yeah. three first graders. I think Sonny, if he doesn't go back to Toronto, they don't sign him. They can't afford to deal with that and figure that out money. Well, I just don't think it works. doesn't work. So, You've got too many good young forwards. I think friends off contract still. I think they'll sort that out. He'll get probably a year, but I wouldn't go much further. Hutchison, Ikevalu, Locker Lamb. I think they'll keep Lamb on the cheap. Ikevalu, again, I don't see any reason he goes anywhere else. Hutchison, they used him in a different way. Like, again, from a squad perspective, COVID year, what's on the market? I, I could re- see him re-sign and basically everyone they have and going again. The big thing is, next year, you're keeping an eye on a few guys to see if it's that time. Is Boyd Cordner going to be good for 12 months? Yeah. Is Jake Friend, like I said, going to be good for another 12 months? Is Kiri, like he's just got a brand new contract, so they're in a bit of a situation there, which is one of the only things with Nick sometimes. Nick really loves his players. They love that club. They stick thick on guys when they're, when they're on board with them. But if they have a bad year, again, with head knocks or injuries on a couple of those guys, you'd have some concern. Yeah. Uh, and there was some talk around not long ago the Tedesco contract, which seemed like it was done, not done either. And there's some things popping up with that, so I'll have to wait mm. and see how that pays out in the off-season. But as far as kids coming through, they've still got some more on that production line. Things got pulled up, obviously, with COVID this year, but Luca Moretti is another back row they've got coming through. Fletcher Baker, these guys have been through all those junior systems, played those rep levels. So they've got guys waiting. And two guys that we played against this year in the 18s, you want to talk about talent and how quickly things get elevated when you're a good player. Uh what were the two names that I wrote down? Lani and Mawala, Graham Torfer, were a fullback and wing. They're twin brothers from New Zealand who they brought over to play SG Ball. Had an absolute field day every week before that comp got cancelled, regardless of who they played. They've gone from SG Ball, as soon as things hit the fan, they've put them in that little bubble situation with Sam Walker. They've skipped 20s, cut, and gone straight into the bubble situation on NRL development contracts. Yeah. And I'm telling you, in a year or two, because Tupo is a bit older, the Morrises obviously don't have a whole lot of time Left, um, it, I wouldn't put it past either of these kids playing first grade. Yeah, agree. Because there's guys you're watching, you go, he's a good footballer. And then there's dudes you're watching the game, in particular the fullback, who got close to 300 metres, looked like a man, moved like he was a good player. And the brother was as aggressive in his yardage carries and coming off the wing. So between those guys, Verrells Radley coming back, Fletcher Baker, Luca Moretti, Egan Butcher, Nat's brother's been also another touted player, middle back. Like, there's going to be guys pushing again. They'll replenish the stocks, but I guess the big question is for me, over the 12 months, do they stick with Flanagan? Do they go with Walker, the hooker situation, and then just to help a few of those guys? Because if, if their cracks start to appear and Jared and anyone starts to look a bit older and tired, they're generally quick to make moves, but these are guys that have been there for a long time. And when emotion comes to decision sometimes, Politis um, does tend to hold on. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. If they do have a similar situation again next year or finish similar or guys aren't playing that way, if Robinson can go to him and they can sit down and they might have to make a few hard decisions. Yeah. So I agree. But, I agree. Yeah. It, it's going to be interesting. It's it's the first real year that they've had to think about it. Definitely. Most definitely. And there you go. That wraps up season reviews for those guys and the reviews of those games. Jumping in now to the last part we need to do, obviously, which is tip these games and maybe have a look at some possible betting value and that is brought to you by the Penrith Solar Centre and we've had another person inbox us for a recommendation up on the Goldie so Lyle I'll get back to you there champion I've messaged Jake he'll come back with something and someone around the Gold Coast area and also Big Andy on Twitter he's saying he's keen to get on board another local so that should be another system there of someone getting on board to put some money back in their back pocket 
certainly working very, very well. It was pumping out 7,000 watts on the weekend. Had the dryer, had the washer cranking, the vacuum, the ducted aircon going. It's already hitting 30s out here in the Golden West. Mm. Comes in handy. Had the aircon all night tonight. Oh, yes. It's been nice. Nice in here. The Polar Express. But tackle your rising power bill this season to head on with the help of solar. The team at Penrith Solar are passionate about helping Western Sydney Sinbin rising electricity bills for good. Find out how they can make you and your family the big winners this season with quality solar solutions for your home. www.penrithsolar.com.au or give them a call on 1820 2930. Jake and the crew there. There is none better. First game to preview, Brock. Storm and Raiders. Your thoughts on how this one's going to play? Well, I think it's a different style of game. It's a more grinding game, a more, uh, I think, defensive style of game. Uh, it's going to be really, really interesting to see what sort of style Melbourne can come up with after seeing what the Raiders have produced in the first two weeks of the finals. First week, the Raiders were really off their game. Last week, they came in with a really clear plan and executed it for a long period of time. They've had that style which has unsettled Melbourne uh, previously, so it'll be interesting to see whether they try and go with that same spoiling, niggling... Um, they move the point t- of attack, yeah. they offload. It, it'll be interesting to see whether they go with that or whether they you know, move away from that and maybe go with a different tactic. I think for Melbourne, it really revolves around them winning the middle of the field, bringing Cameron Smith into the game and then unlocking those two halves and your fullback who are all... Their strength is having space and running the ball. So if Melbourne can win the middle, win the ruck speed and get going forward, they're going to be a real chance. I also feel as though Melbourne have got to defend a little bit better than what they have been. You know, to leak that many points to Parramatta, I know they won the game, but... Even the Tigers game and other games, they've scored 50, they've conceded. That's what really concerns me about Melbourne this year. Their defence has been really un-Melbourne-like, so... I really expect them to clamp down in terms of their just concentration and execution in in regards to their defence. So if that happens, you know, the Raiders, I think, struggled to score. What did the Raiders score? 22 against the Roosters? Yeah. You know, I'd be surprised if they scored any more than that against Melbourne. A couple of forward crash overs, realistically, the jack fall overs. Yeah, so I I really believe that the goal here for Melbourne has got to be, I think Melbourne can get to 24. No, No doubt about that. They need to make sure that they keep the Raiders below 24 and, and that'll be the key to victory here. And obviously getting, you know, a majority of possession, time of possession, and then not making those silly errors. They're probably That's the other element. Melbourne have made some uncharacteristic errors and they've made errors early in the tackle count a little bit this year. So they're, they're the two things I, I really think they've got to fix up. The errors, particularly early in the tackle count, in good positions and just their defensive Execution. If they do that, I think they're going to be too good for Canberra. Well, I think similar deal again. And it seems like I say this every week, but it is generally the case. Generally, teams are left side dominant, and for some reason, everyone's right hand side is generally their worst defensively. Rapana last week in that right edge, they did a pretty good job, and they were much better than what they were the week before, where I thought they were coming up with some pretty average reads against Cronulla. But Melbourne's left side is red hot, so Munster is obviously a big factor. If Munster plays and he's healthy and he's good to go. We know Melbourne's going to want to go left if they can roll the middle. And if they get left, they're going to be going after him. They're going to go at George Williams, Bateman, etc. And there's been times in the past where you can pick holes in them. Yeah. On the flip side, Melbourne's right's been speculative. Branko has got the nod to play there, and he's been pretty solid at times this year. But we saw some games that Tigers won, the Cowboys won at the back end of the year, 
but there was some really poor tries conceded on that edge. So you got no doubt that if they can roll the middle, similar deal, get some momentum, shift there early, they're going to have Jack Whiten coming flat, fast, hard, trying to hit Elliot or get outside to Croker. Makes it yeah, and look, the strength of Williams is also his running game. So yeah. it's all going to be the middle of the field. That's Melbourne the have got the, the, the huge advantage Melbourne have got is Cameron Smith. The, the Raiders don't have a, a, a anyone that can really match him. I, I think that's where the advantage is. How do you nullify him? Canberra win the middle. Yeah, Canberra win the middle, you can nullify Smith, and that's their avenue to winning. Get more possession, niggle away, get Melbourne off their game. I uh, hope that Melbourne start a little bit flat because they've had the week off. Like, there's avenues there for, for Canberra to win, and Ricky's going to have some strategy there, no doubt, to try and unsettle them. Uh, and I certainly it'll, think it'll be interesting. they can match them in the pack. I they, think can. they can. And I think, if anything, I'd probably give them the edge on the bench now as well. Because Melbourne, we saw last week, some people go, why well, they only use 15? It's like, well, finals game. Nico yeah. is there purely for cover, and this week he'll be the same if Munster does play and they've got any clouds over him. And the other one, Tommy Eisenhuth, Chris Lewis didn't see any minutes. Eisenhuth may not get used at all. Yeah. They might just roll Brandon Smith, Tino. Yeah, but they, they, they might not even play those guys on the bench. They don't, they don't have to play them. No. They can drop those guys out. But they might go with constant rotation of the middles. They might yeah. play Jesse for 25-30, Welch for 25-30, Nelson for 20, roll Brandon, roll Tino in for one of those props so I can just keep cycling them. Looking at that, they're probably going to have to use one of them. But Dale Finucane's in the extended reserves. He's no guarantee either. But if he comes in, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if Melbourne just have those three middles just rolling. Um, but like the Canberra bench, whether they change it again, how they start or finish, Louis, Hudson Young, Harawira, Naira, if, even if they pushed Soliola back or Starling, like, I think they're going to get good enough to match up. Yeah. Melbourne probably bigger, able to create a bit more damage, second phase play if they can punch some holes in them. But I think overall, edges, middles, bench rotation, they can match them there. But they've both got a weakness on their edges. I think the other upside probably for me is the kicking game. Smith's kicking game is more important than both the halves. Yeah. Because let's be honest, Munster, pretty stock standard, and Hughes is a manufactured half. His kicking game yeah. at times isn't the greatest. Whereas on the flip side, I thought Canberra last week, Kicked well. Kicked very well. Jack was dynamite. Like left foot, left corridor is very hard to do. He was on the money constantly. And yeah. George, particularly the short kicking game, was outstanding. So there's another tick in the box there. And um, Set starting. They did a really good job last week. Melvin's going to really want to clamp down on that because that'll nullify Papali to Pine, like you said, and allow them to try and get on top. So uh, lots of good matchups in this one. But I think the week off, up at Suncorp, Melbourne almost treat that like a second home ground. Potentially Smith last year. Um, I'm going to go Melbourne, but these two hate each other. So yeah. I reckon... This I'm, go- is- I'm going Melbourne based on my theory that yeah. the rest is going to help. Canberra have just been unbelievable the way they just keep trudging on. Yeah. Despite injury and the fact they're having to play, this will be now their 20th week in a row. I know they had that little break where they rested a lot, but um, they've had two... Pretty tough slogs the last two weeks, close games. You know, I know the Sharks one blew out, but that was harder than it needed to be for 60 minutes. And then they, you know, they've knocked the defending premiers out. You know, if they knock Melbourne off here, they they fully deserve their crack at a, oh. a grand final. So I will say this though, if Munster is out completely and it's Jacks or Nico, and like you sat down and asked me again, I'd tip Canberra. If Munster's out, I'd tip Canberra. Yeah, I'm and the same. I think similar deal again. There's. Pressure on a guy like Pappenhausen not to be 
in particular, all around the ball, looking for that second phase, trying to be a game breaker, and he'll be heavy on that left hand side as well. Even if Munster does play and he's 70, 80 percent, he's going to need to be around the football, and he has yeah. been. I think Dale Finucane will probably come in and start Tommy, Tommy Eisenhuth will drop off. And, yep. um, They'll have the three forwards on the bench. Yeah. Rotate Nelson, Welch, Jesse. Just play middles, middles. Yeah. Roll, roll. Try to get. That's if Finucane's right. Yeah. That, that'll be a big in. That, that'd that really as stiffen up Melbourne's bench. Yeah. Exactly. Otherwise, they, will, they won't risk him if he's close for a grand final, if that's possibly on the line. But we're both on the storm. I think this is another one. If you're going to ask me for a bet that I'd do 10 or less, I think it'll be a close game. Um, I'd, I'd confidently go Melbourne 1 to 12. Yep. Well, they're a dollar forty-eight. The Storm. The Raiders are two sixty-five minus six is the line there. So, second game. Panthers. If they gave me minus five and a half, I'd take it on Melbourne. There you go. Panthers South. As far as lineups are concerned, we know Kate Well replaces Kikau again. I think works out fine. A little bit of a different style of player. Uh, doesn't have as much power or the bump to generate things on his own. Say is what a kick out could or destroy that edge, but that left edge is very versatile and dangerous. They do a good enough job in the middle to open up space. And, you know, Catewell was a guy himself with footwork and the way he moves and he runs really tidy lines. If he's going at that space we're talking about with Reynolds and Campbell Graham, I'm sure he'll cause drama. He's got the ability to offload, run really good holes. So um, they match up well there. And on the bench, Lane comes in. So no loss there. He's been great in his short stints. Yeah, he has, man. You look Probably at unlucky them, to miss out last week. Leota, Tedavano, Lainu, great leg speed and aggression off the bench. You've got May, who's missed a fix it in all positions. They're good on both edges. Like I said, Catewell, great replacement. Martin's been dangerous on the other side. I think Yo, to me, has been close to the best lock, if not the best lock this season. He's been outstanding in the middle. Fish, huge. Chorus house control isolating, working the middle over, opening the outsides up for Luai and Cleary to work their game, the balance they have for each other. Nice long-kicking game and control and defence and his ability to pick his moments to run. Jerome's flair on that left-hand side. Ability to play short, play long, short-kicking game inside 20 and then the ability to cut back on the inside if guys don't connect. I don't really see a weakness in Penrith, in all honesty, other than that spot where the Roosters picked them off, which is Jerome and Kikio. I think Catewell, why again, not as physically imposing, is a better decision maker and a better defender as far as situational and reading as a uh, reading a defence and doing his job there than what Kikio is. I think he's smarter defensively. Yeah. So if anything, I think that probably helps out Jerome, but no doubt if they can get it, Jerome, they will. They're not that right side heavy, though, South. So they do play both sides of the field, no doubt about it, but that left-hand long shift for the halves link up and they play to the left is their favourite way to go. They definitely can score on the right, though. There's no doubt about it. Campbell Graham, when they do go that way, Reynolds, if he can play direct, etc., and they get enough of a roll on, you have no doubt they'll be looking to play their structures, get those set shifts going, and if they can win the middle, get Cook going. But basically all the things that we talked about, the Parramatta game, I just I don't see it, is it being is that easy. I don't think they're going to be able to dominate Penrith in set starts. I don't think they're going to be able to get over the top uh, in that situation and strangle them for territory and possession. I don't think they're going to get as cheap errors and they're not going to be as fragile on the edges for them to shift all the time and force the ball. And we've seen it in games it's like when we went and watched South play Melbourne this year that if they get frustrated and they keep moving the ball, they can shoot themselves in the foot. They made errors. They gave Melbourne away back in that game and Melbourne picked holes in that left-hand side, which no doubt that's where Penrith's going to be looking to go. And we saw Parramatta do it effectively in that short stint the other night. Um, and at other times where they just weren't patient enough, they... They picked enough holes when they wanted to. Mm. So, 
no doubt you can see plenty of traffic going at Cookie to work him over in the middle and then getting to their halves. Both of their halves are guys you can get at and get quick play of the ball and play off the back of. Yeah. Penrith, yeah, and this is going to be a different style of game. This is going to be more open, more attacking, I guess minded, and uh, probably a little bit, you're going to see more ball movement in this match. So I like Penrith. I, I just think they're the, they're the better side. They've been the better side all year. But Seas are the momentum team. They're, they're the team they're that's sort of, you know, coming with that big 60 point win, one back to back finals in pretty. Uh, I guess clinical fashion. I just question the form. You know they haven't played a Melbourne or a, or a Penrith in that run, and they're going to run into that this weekend. Penrith are fresh, but you know I expect Penrith probably to be a little bit nervous in that first twenty. So I think it's going to be as much about South holding one. on in that twenty as it is going to be Penrith. I think if if Penrith get behind, you know like they showed against the Roosters, they can get a little bit starstruck. And you know, get down ten nil. You don't want to do that uh, in a preliminary final. It's well, just prior to that, they got first game. points like thirteen times in a row. So yeah. I'm similar to you. I think, I think if Penrith strike early, South yeah. aren't going. It's not going and to be settle. as easy for South to get those gluts that they're used to getting because Penrith are just better all yeah. around defensively than some of the teams they've carved up. And I know a lot of people could say, well, you say they haven't played anyone along the way that they played the Roosters when they towed them up by sixty. But I just. I'm not taking anything away from that performance, but that was an absolute outlier as far as score yeah. and situation. And the Roosters have leaked the last few weeks, sure, but this is the biggest challenge. And similar deal to the Raiders. Like, if the Souths get there from this situation, from the way they finished the back end of the year, the style of football they're playing, they fully deserve to be in the grand final. They really do. Yeah, and this, this could come back to a comment that Gus Gould made during the week where for the first time in history, we, we might be saying that the, the best attacking team is what wins the competition rather than defence. Mm. Because South, no doubt about it, they're relying on their attack. They're not relying on their defence. They've leaked yeah. points. They've had patches like the Para game, like the Newcastle game, like during the year where you can pick them apart or when Melbourne chased them down. But if you give them enough football and they can open you up, they'll score six, seven, eight. They will just absolutely carve you to pieces. Yeah. So first 20, I'm, I'm with you. Super important, particularly for the young Panthers. But I think if they can get first points and settle... Yeah, I think they'll go on with it. And they'll be playing in the grand final. Yeah. So, I'm on the Panthers. So are you. Panthers-Melbourne grand final. That'd be good. And the odds, exactly the same. Dollar forty-eight for the Panthers, the favourite. two sixty-five for Souths. Minus six and a half, though. So, they've given the extra half point. So, if you like Souths, you can get six and a half. Um, yeah. I think halves battle's an interesting one. Nine battle's an interesting one. I think Penrith have the upside in the pack. And in their bench rotation, don't get me wrong, I think Colin Matungi's been great and night at times, but, uh, you know, Nichols is solid, he does a job. Jed, I think he's more there if he's needed, but for Penner, if you know what those three middles are going to do, yeah, you know what their pack's going to do. Um, the two ones, I think Alan, you know, honestly, showed a hell of a lot of promise with his ball playing. Edwards is super busy, not that effective with the ball. They're but similar fullbacks. If you match things up across the park, you know, um, I just think, yeah, I can't go past Penrith. No. There's, your worries on the flip side, like you said, that maybe the week off for their momentum because they didn't rest during the year is a bad thing. And yeah. Souths have that momentum, early. but I'm with you. First 20, I think if they score first and settle, I'll be all over the Panthers. Yeah. If Souths can get early points, get them on the back foot, get them a bit rattled and things aren't clicking, they might get a bit frustrated. Um, I still think it's tight, but 
Yeah, I, I think if Penrith said early and punched also him Also, if South can defend, defend well. Like, yeah. if South can turn Penrith away... So that's the one thing I think Penrith can defend well. South, I'm not sure if they can. Well, that's the, that's my point. You know, if they flip the script and come out and are able to, you know... Get stuck in. Yeah, get stuck in. Tighten and, up their edges, win the middle. turn Penrith away a few times, that, that also may change the game and change the way Penrith play a little bit as well. It'll be interesting. Well, there you interesting. go. Interesting. We're going first. And I'll second. go the double. I'm just going to go Penrith Melbourne, multi it up. I think you get two twenty. So I'd be happy to take that individually. I'd go Melbourne one to twelve, um, and then Penrith. I'd probably go a try win or. Well, I looked today. Or take Penrith by to win by. I'd take Penrith minus three and a half. Yeah. Into probably over points, whatever the over in the points is, I'd probably take. South Panthers probably overs, yeah. Yeah. I looked again and did two try bets again, just because I think they'll both be close if they pan out the way I hope they do. Yeah. And I just had a fiver because, again, it's always hard for finals games, but I got <coughs> 10 or less in both games, either team to win by 10 or less, and then I had Kate Will to score and Pappenhausen to score, and I think I got like $57, so I just put a fiver on. Yeah. Because head-to-head, finals games, they're so unpredictable. Usually, you know, I work off halves and weak edges and spots to attack. Like. There you go. Penrith, Penrith minus three and a half into over 40 and a half. He's $3.20. Yeah. But if, even if you split those that. bets, like Pappenhausen was $2, Tribet's $2, so you get four four fifty. Kate was about four fifty, and Penrith the Tribet, 2 bucks. So you can split those or you can do what I did and just chuck a five on. It's just yeah. for a bit interesting in the games. But, uh, yeah, I, I think both... Close contest, hoping for good games. But I'm with you. I think the two teams out of the week off, I'm going to go again, I'll go with them to come in, get the job done, and meet on grand final day. Yeah. If we don't, we'll have history. We'll have someone from outside the top four win for the first time. Um, we'll have two teams that came in at the back end, one that was written off from injury and one that was basically never given a chance, but flipped the script late and pressed the gas button mm. with the master, Wayne Bennett. So... The master. Good stories, and if not, we're going to have the liquid man from the Terminator, the Melbourne Storm, who just turn up every year and everyone fucking hates against uh, youthful exuberance and the junior nursery that's the Penrith Panthers and all their young kids coming through. So, some good stories there. Yeah. We could have Panthers against the Raiders and have rematches from 90, 91. New generation for both. The Raiders' redemption story and fighting back and changing along the way to get back to the grand final or South and Storm there's some history there there's no doubt about it South and Raiders history and a bit of feeling Ricky Wayne anyway it matches up it's pretty good mm. but for me well, out of all of them and again I'm a Melbourne fan I really want to see Penner from the grand final yeah I'm not I, a Panther I, I fan deserve to be there but if they're, they're going really to earn their way now. Yeah, hundred percent. But out of all of them, and that's you always want to see your own team. But honestly, I really want to see Penrith on Grand Final day. Mm. From that side of the draw, no offense to any of our CS fans out there, but Panthers Raiders or Panthers Storm, that that's the game I want to see. From that side of things. Right, yeah, let's wrap it so, up. There you go. Anyone, if you're out there, if you're a Panther fan, Raiders fan, CS fan, Storm fan, best of luck for this weekend. For your team, and fingers crossed they do get for your team. into the grand final. It's there for the taking. Hopefully we get two absolute crackers, and then the grand final the week after, bullshit. Yep, be good. We're looking forward to it. So, everyone, enjoy your week. Stay safe. Get ready for two absolute corker games.
uh, Origin to follow that one. So like you said, five or six weeks left. So we've got a little bit to enjoy. But for now, enjoy your week and enjoy your rugby league. Bring it on. Give us more. Give us more. Where are you going? Where, what, 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 what's going on here? Is that it? Is that it? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.